Your organization is alive. You're not a machine, you're a living system. I'm Paul Miller and welcome to The Nature of Work, where we explore the people, practices and organizations who are bringing a new story of work to life. This podcast is hosted by myself and Shimreet James and is based on the book Nature of Work, A New Story of Work for a Living Age, written by myself and Shimreet James, and is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. For more information about the Nature of Work book, visit natureofwork.com. And if you'd like to bring this new story of work alive in your company, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. I think it, it takes a kind of brave leader to, I suppose, admit that they don't have all the answers and, and you know, they, they need to be able to kind of go on this journey with their employee group. The, so the question that everyone keeps asking is, should we come in two days or three days a week or four days or one day a week? Or like, So everyone is very fixated on days per week and you know I get it it's tangible it makes it feel like it's controllable but people the the questions that people aren't asking is to do what and why so today we have joining us Sarah Bolas who is director of consultancy and Deepak Palmer who is design director and they are both from an architecture and design organization called MCM um, who are headquartered in London Paul how did you find the conversation well after I'd kind of settled down and stopped running between one building and another um, and caught my breath I really I, I found it a lovely conversation in that I really enjoyed listening to them both. They're both very calm and quite sort of peaceful. I don't know if you found that. Uh, maybe it's because they're in Sussex. Um, but, but, but I also, um, on a more serious note, I loved the story of their opening of their new um, experimental space in London's Borough Market. I like Borough Market. I feel quite nostalgic about Borough Market. So, so, so there was that, and I enjoyed the way that this is a their architectural firm. It's not a huge firm, but it's medium size. But they really live and breathe the principles around your organisation is alive. So I, I, I found that quite inspiring, really. I think one of the things I loved is their their different approaches to their work. So Sarah has a, a keen interest in neuroscience and organizational psychology and behavior change. And then Deepak comes at it from a very empathetic approach to design. And having those two different perspectives around something that is about physical workplace, but also about how we work together feels really inspiring. I think an innovative as well. We don't see it mm. that often and leads to such a different conversation to just talking about bricks and mortar, for example. Yeah, um, and that was a really good conversation, the the part about frontline workers and what this kind of reimagining of a, of a better ways of working as we move into this endemic kind of era um, and, and how actually what it's doing is exposing broken practices in a lot of the industries that frontline key workers work in like i didn't realize how badly truck drivers are 
treated. I did, you know, uh, hospitality, warehouses, delivery, you know, you go on and on and you start to see a lot of industries that essentially have treated people like kind of commodities. Absolutely. Um, and starting to translate the way that we approach HQs, for example, to how we actually treat everyone within the organisation, regardless of where they are. I think this way of thinking that MCM is nurturing and advocating for almost hopefully makes it easier to then have those conversations and see those changes. Um, and one of the other things that really struck me was they both spoke about leadership and the, the kind of crisis in leadership that is going on at the moment as the old mm. ways of leading. Some mm. are maybe trying to cling on to what's familiar and comfortable because it, it things are so changeable at the moment, but that's not going to work and they need to evolve and adapt. And one of the things Sarah shared was, you know, there's a lot of people who she's having to help through the anxiety of change at the moment um and in our old in the old ways of working having those conversations that bring into account human emotion and human fear alongside a design process there wasn't space for that no i think actually one of the things that that's sort of coming to me now is that this there's been a lot of talk about you know well hybrid working that's all really good for knowledge workers the more privileged workers and 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 we need to uh in in the way that this gets played back to me is we need to provide better uh more flexibility to people in frontline roles and actually that it, it it's quite a mechanistic way of thinking about these widgets in frontline roles it's like provide them with better technology provide them with this whereas actually what is coming to me from the conversation we had is that it's actually about providing a better working environment at the deepest level in terms mm. of treating people better, paying people better, respecting people more, coming from both customers and employers. And that, you know, I, I'm always struck that, that, that you can in a way expect people to do exactly the same work but if you give people more autonomy over what they do if you give them more respect appreciation for what they do that actually the experience of of work is is transformed from that i really do think we're living through a a, a an era where or where we can reimagine and actually start to um, put into practice a, a fundamentally better way of working for everyone. Mm. And I don't think I've really felt that probably before in my kind of working life. Um, I think every time, you know, COVID sort of exposed all the kind of innards of our society and what works and what doesn't. And now this labour shortage is exposing the decrepit practices of a lot of the industries that are really struggling to get people to come and work for them. And I don't know if there, you know, there's something about the way that MCM approach their work and their clients and the way that mm. they work together that has uh, an assumed dignity and respect in, in each other. Mm. And that almost seems like the starting point. And I think there's been a lack of assumed and accepted dignity in the way that some people treat each other or different parts of the workforce 
um, historically, mm. which I think the way that they approach things hopefully starts to change that. Yeah, we should we should use their new space as a co-working space, shouldn't we? <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, uh, they, you know, I, I didn't know it was the, the Ministry of... It was run by the Ministry of Sound. Oh, which really? Which I always think of with Acid House and yes, things like that. Yeah, me as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, should we, should we listen to Talk To, Sarah and Deepak? Yes, let's do it. Just... Um, maybe kind of share the story of this new space and what it's called and 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 i'd love to get a kind of flavor of what the the kind of first moments there yesterday felt like mm. yeah um oh, i could start on that um so i suppose our, our kind of journey into this space has been um quite fortuitous i'd probably say we at the beginning of the pandemic we had a lease break on our on our office space um which was um not very appropriate for us i think you know we we were there for many years but it never really delivered on the kind of promise of being a really creative studio um we we kind of lived with it i'd say for for many years Uh, and when the the lease break came we, we took the opportunity to to um, hand it back to the landlord and, and think about what our, our future would be. Um, we were in the process of um, looking for a new site um, with a, a ready brief, and then and then obviously the pandemic hit and everything changed. The world of work changed as we know it. So through that process, we've then started to think about well, how can we pilot spaces and use them as kind of test beds to then inform our decisions on what the home of MCM will look like in the future. Um, I was actually with my, um, my MD just yesterday and you know, he, he rightly said, if I was to go out looking for space now, I wouldn't know what I'm looking for in terms of how many square foot or what types of spaces it's, it should include because we've not tested it ourselves yet. So, you know, we've, we've been saying this for for a few months now that you know it is a pilot for everyone hybrid working is you know here to stay whether you you like it or not um and therefore we've got to be able to be flexible um and have quite an open mindset around how do we create a destination space where people want to come where our employees want to come and be together um rather than just a a space that is a, a sea of desks so thank you so much for, for that, Deepak. So what did it feel like and what actually happened? I mean, how many people were there yesterday and just kind of locate us in the part of London that the, the new experimental space is, is, is located in? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the new space is, is in Borough in, in South London. Um, it is part of the ministry so the ministry is um the ministry of sounds co-working space so it's a a space which is um you know tailored towards the kind of creative industries um and when we turned up yesterday we had about i'd probably say 30 30 people um yeah we've got employees on holiday so that's that's over half i think of our employee base uh, and we we held the the all hands uh, as a hybrid meeting. So we had thirty people in the room. Uh, we had about ten or so that had called in, um, 
and we do our normal all hands where it is a you know a general kind of state of the nation and then what's on the horizon and Mm. what exciting things are happening and it was actually for me it felt full of excitement and I, I actually think what was quite interesting from that um, the meeting which I picked up was um, there was definitely a social element and there always is to our all hands um, which I must admit I thought the guys on the, the, the call who called who chosen to call in felt like they were missing out a little bit I don't know what you mm. thought about that Sarah yeah I spoke to a couple of them earlier and they I think there was a bit of uh, FOMO going on um, afterwards but I mean we, we kept the social stuff to drinks afterwards and I think you know, it's excitement, right? It's um, connection. We haven't seen each other for the best part of 18 months, most of us. And so um, there are people that had, you know, joined the company that we hadn't met in person yet. Um, and so really it was uh, it was just lovely just to be together. And um, we deliberately kept your hands fairly short because we wanted to give people you know, maximum time just to reconnect again. Just on a technical level, how did you bring the um, the people who were, if you like, hybrid into the into the all hands meeting? Well, we used Teams or Zoom, depending on the type of call. And the meeting room we had had multiple screens around it. Okay. So, um, so it, it works pretty well actually. And we were sharing things on screen. You do have to adjust your facilitation style a little bit Mm. because you've got to make sure that people sort of on screen are included as well and have the chance to say um but no it worked pretty well so was it quite emotional yesterday i think so so. yeah Yeah. i think um i think to deepak's point it's just exciting isn't it i think great excitement to see each other again Mm. but also you know we were talking about our own future ways of working and um our ambition for that and what we you know and i think you know there's such a tremendous amount of opportunity right now i think everyone's feeling um you know very tired underneath as i think most of the nation is but uh but generally full of excitement and optimism about okay well this is what's next you know and, and for us we're walking our talk it's important that we do that i love that you've embraced the uncertainty of the situation because considering the work that you do you're experts you're the consultants you're the experts you're the ones who hold the knowledge of that work to work with your clients and to say we're also working this out we're also experimenting we're also being flexible and kind of holding this space to be a pilot um feels really exciting and courageous as well I think um you know we have a consulting firm and we know what it feels like to know that you are the experts and it does take an element of bravery to then say we also don't necessarily have the answers but let's work this out together um and one of the other things that struck me was alongside the excitement and the emotion of yesterday was that experience of the FOMO of the people at home because I know as I've been researching hybrid working one of the challenges is that idea of is it inclusive is it equitable are you creating a two-tier system between those who are together in person versus those at home so I had a question for you guys which was just thinking about that that feeling of how we work together what impact will the last 18 months have had on how people feel within work and how do you think that's going to change going forward as we go into this new hybrid way of working i think it's a really interesting question because it's been a roller coaster right i think if you look and feel back almost just remind yourself of how it 
how it's been for the last 18 months. You know, there are periods where it felt great and periods where it felt frustrating and lonely and, and all of those things. I think um, the interesting thing is going to be that actually for a lot of people who have been primarily working from home, I know not everybody has, but for those who have been, is, is really you've got a, a series of new norms now, right? There's... Um, and people have got pretty comfortable with that. They've got used to that. It's even silly things like your commuting cost. Um, you know, you've got having, you've used to that in your pocket now. It's not something you've had to pay for on a regular basis or being home for if somebody has to pop in. So I think there's going to be um, a real discomfort when those norms need to change again, because that's quite natural. And I think for depending on how workplaces are feeling, perceiving, thinking about the opportunity. Um, it will either be uh, a pretty exciting opportunity, like, oh, well, what does, you know, the next 12 months look like um, versus, you know, uh, other organisations that are perhaps just really desperately wanting to get back to how things were or, <laughs> or thinking there's a finish line pretty close when uh, the finish line keeps moving. So uh, I, I think it really does depend. And, you know, it depends what else has been going on for you. If you've been having to shield um, or you've got people in your loved close ones that you're trying to shield. And what does that mean if I now have to get back on public transport or do face to face meetings again? You know, I've noticed handshakes have crept back in. Um, I've had a few people shake hands, which is really interesting when you think to last year. So I think what will be the hardest is likely that there'll be different rules for everybody and different tolerances for everybody and negotiating that just on a you know purely social animal level is quite tricky isn't it um it's like when you go to a dinner party and some people are double kisses and huggers and other people are just kind of wave at you from across the room and you have to do that dance to work out <laughs> what what's everyone comfortable with um i suppose it's the the workplace equivalent of that yeah we're seeing a sort of species kind of adaptation in real time aren't we and i know one of the areas that you deal with sarah is 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 around behavior change um and and so on and it strikes me that i mean at one level mcm is a an architectural and design practice but you you feel like an architectural and design practice that's got a certain kind of maybe an aspiration or a an embodiment of a of a new way of working and this podcast is based on nature of work um the book that shimreet and i wrote which says that organizations are actually alive oh. and and it is is that part of the the kind of ethos because i suspect that there's quite a lot of firms who are very good at architecture and design as i know you all are but it seems like you've got a different dimension or aspect to the way you think about yourselves that's quite a complicated not sort of slightly non-question but <laughs> you see what I'm getting at yeah well, I think uh, we were in the fortunate position that we were sort of looking at these concepts perhaps even three years ago Deepak four when um and you know we were thinking about the workplace has more, I mean, our, one of our programs is called Beyond Walls because it is literally, you know, the workplace is about the psychological concept and contract. It's about belonging. For some people, it's about 
um, identity, purpose, meaning there's a, you know, the workplace has all of these different facets to it. And yes, physical space is an incredibly important uh, part of that, but it's broader than that. And I suppose we became very interested in the um, interconnection of those things pretty early on. And I suppose what COVID has done fantastically for us is accelerate lots of the conversations that were already being had, but perhaps organisations weren't necessarily brave enough to take the steps. Perhaps, you know, it's proof of concept really, isn't it? You know, lots of people were going to agile or activity-based working, but we've had to spend a lot of time uh, it, you know, giving confidence that it could work. Well, you know, we've almost had the opposite problem now of, okay, you've got your proof of concept, but now you're almost wanting to reconnect and, and redefine what, uh, you know, the modern workplace or the future workplace needs to encompass. And, you know, your, your bricks and mortar will be a huge part of that, but as will your technology, as will your culture, as will all these other facets of your workplace. And I think for us, I mean, Deepak, please jump in here, but I think we, we always found it a huge success when we could actually get facilities, property, HR and IT all in one room to help them understand how interconnected their roles were. And I think that's what's been great about this is um, I think that's, you know, it's becoming a holistic conversation by default. Yeah, I think you're right, Sarah. I think, you know, one of the ways we've kind of always described our work is that we, you know, as workspace designers, we design experiences, not just environments. And it's really important that we look at the, the workplace as that kind of holistic model. As Sarah said, you know, it's rare that just a really nice looking space is going to actually meet the brief. Um, you've got to dig much deeper than that and really you know, if we're truly going to deliver value to our clients, where we've got to delve much deeper into their kind of culture and the workplace itself and the design of the workplace should hopefully enable um, better culture, better behaviours um, throughout. So it, it really is thinking about it in a, a far more holistic way than just through design and architecture itself. And I think with, with your book, you know, as you, you, you've been describing yourselves, you know, uh, an organisation as an organism, something living, something moving, something shifting that, you know, I think that's a, a really helpful way to think about it. You know, yes, you know, you could keep something alive with just, you know, water and food and a bit of sunlight, but, uh, you know, quality of life would be uh, pretty diminished. You know, there is a, the experience, the wider experience and, and, and how that adds value on a significant level. So, yeah, I think uh, it was lovely to to read your parts of your book because it's it, it feels very much aligned with some of our philosophy. Thank you. And I love that idea of actually is the space that is being created both conceptually, kind of psychologically and physically with the design space. Is it helping people just survive with the basics or is it helping them actually thrive? by creating that environment where they do feel like they belong and they can do their best work and they connect. And the idea that you can have that conversation by bringing all those people together, whether you're facilities or HR. I started out in facilities and I remember that feeling of being in the basement of the office almost. Uh, we joked that we were the engine room, but it was the basement. Um, and that feeling... Of you always get the worst spots exactly, in facilities, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
and just kind of the disconnect sometimes that you felt with with other parts of the business and so but actually the amount of expertise that each of those groups of people hold so being able to meld them together to create that living system approach is so powerful um and i wonder like i know i i can i know that you guys are a b corp for example and that means you have a certain commitment to how you you need to work and from everything that you've just said as well how does that impact the way that you work internally out of interest because i assume you practice what you preach to an extent (laughs) absolutely and that's yeah that's part of the reason we we saw B Corp certification and, and, you know, albeit we, it's fairly new, we only received B Corp certification in June of this year. Um, and actually what our strategy is, especially for the kind of rest of this year, is starting to embed that um, far deeper into the organisation um, so that it actually touches all aspects of what we do. Um, I think what's, you know, I think what was good for us when we went through the process of B Corp was that actually we were already fairly aligned um, with their standards. You know, it's a fairly grueling process to go through the B Corp process, but um, I'd say we were already fairly aligned with, with, with the values that we live as an organisation. But it's definitely changed our focus towards our clients, the way we engage with them, um, how sustainable our projects are, um, and also just really thinking about what our responsibility is as designers. Um, you know, we design can be a hugely powerful tool um, when used in the right way, uh, and therefore, you know, we have to take that kind of responsibility um, and use it with care and make sure that actually we are creating a far better, more sustainable future for, for our clients and, and beyond, you know, when we design buildings, it, it doesn't just kind of, they don't just deliver to, to one client, they deliver to, to multiples. So it's really thinking um, holistically around what our impact is going to be. So it's had a, it's had a, a profound impact, I'd say, on, on the way we um, deliver projects, um, but also the way we run our business internally. Um, everything we do now is with a, a B Corp hat on, um, and you know we're a, we're a fairly small organisation. We're only 50, 50 strong, but actually through the B Corp community, you know we can have a, a global impact, and we can partner with others in the industry to try and push forward um, not just our own organisations, but uh, the organisations that we work with, or, or even you know with our peers. One thing I'm just kind of interested in, and and you might have a view on this, Sarah, is that and and, and by the way, congratulations on becoming a B Corp because I, I I know since it's something that we've been looking into how um, strenuous it is to to kind of get to that point. Um, so that's a huge huge achievement. Um, and and when. When you're thinking about the this, as we see it, this nature of work journey, which is not a journey to, in our mind to become a living system, a living organisation, an organism rather than an organisation. It's actually something that all collections of, of people in any type of company already are. And it's more of a kind of new story or a way of thinking and experiencing. But But what we've found as a consulting company is that it, if you start to embrace this nature of work, um, understanding, start thinking about health at a holistic level for your organisation of structure, of intelligence and relationships, actually it changes 
not only who you are, but it actually changes the services that you offer. Um, so we're we're experiencing um, almost like a quite a sort of visceral sense that not only do we do all the great intranet digital workplace services, but we're doing other things that we're not quite sure what they are. And I just wonder if if any of that rings any bells with you, Sarah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I think. Um... I think where I think what what really shifted for us was um, you know look there there are plenty of amazing workplace strategists out there but that process just doesn't fit right now it just doesn't fit and I think to your point because it doesn't take into account often the system so what we're having to do is understand the system enough first to design the right process to get them to the answer. Whereas I think before it was a slightly more linear, you know, first you, you know, take a brief and then you do a deep dive and understand them. And then you come up with concept, you know, like it was, you know, Reba stage it's all fairly, um, all fairly standard. And I think where, um, and as you were describing as well, there were those moments where that just wasn't working. Oh, what's not working? And it's, oh, well, it was actually because the system, the culture, all of these things mean that we need to come at this from a different angle. Um, we need to spend far more time coaching, facilitating, exploring, almost teaching, actually, how to think about this because we're expecting you know, usually a steering group of incredibly busy people to make huge multi-million pound decisions that will impact their organisation for decades sometimes. And, you know, off the back of, I don't know, a 40-minute presentation in a boardroom, you know, that's <laughs> you know, we're probably not going to get the right kinds of answers at that point. So, yeah, I think we, we really did have to shift. And it affects everything from, you know... Uh, how the pipeline of work comes to us because sometimes you know it's it's very space focused when actually the results thereafter are very people focused so it's being able to have those conversations really honestly and openly I think and perhaps you found this yourselves the strength of our consultancy skill um I'd like to think was already strong but you know it's like another level now the ability to have those conversations and hold some really anxious people um who you know we we talk a lot about the, the you know the pendulum effect you know one minute everyone should be back at work the next minute no 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 carry on working but you know like you know the uncertainty to use your words Shamreet that you know and it's going to keep going for a while yet so designing whilst the world is moving around you and getting it right so the it's it's really um having to be very flexible ourselves whilst providing a, you know a tremendous amount of confidence that we will get them there and you know i think that is a to be an in integrity in doing that well um takes a lot of skill yeah, I think one of the things that really struck me there was the idea that you're you're having to kind of hold space and support for people who are anxious. Because mm. I know one of your interests is um, neuroscience, for example, and I've heard you speak previously about the impact of stress on on how we think and decision making. Um, and you know, we I think the idea that you're having those conversations now, whereas previously it maybe didn't feel like the space for it, is something we've seen as well. I mean, just on Tuesday we were having we had a conversation circle where various people joined us, and we were talking about the impact of 
grief and loss and rites of passage within the workplace. There's no way we would have done that mm. a year ago. Um, but being able to have those yeah. very human conversations, um, I think is something that has come out as a positive that we're able to have them now. And I think it, it leads me to my next question, which is in there's so much being said and written about the return to office at the moment. I'm doing research into hybrid work at the moment and the number of opinions I've come across across the whole spectrum uh, are huge. Um, and just thinking about the different hats that you guys wear, Deepak, yours from a design perspective and Sarah, yours from a kind of behavioral change perspective, what are the, the questions that people aren't asking within that debate? Oh, it's such a good question. I've got one, if that's all right, Deepak, and then you can go ahead yeah, and jump in. Right. I think um, the, so the question that everyone keeps asking is, should we come in two days or three days a week or four days or one day a week? Or like, So everyone is very fixated on uh, days per week. Um, and, you know, I get it. It's tangible. It makes it feel like it's controllable. Uh, I totally get it. I think literally every single self-survey we've seen has had that question in or some way or another but people the, the questions that people aren't asking is to do what and why and what's really into you know any uh, like you have seen so many you know future ball gazing kinds of uh, statements and opinions but the reality is you, you've got to understand the DNA really of your business. So, okay, we absolutely have to do this in person. Okay, great. Um, and why? And, you know, if the answer is, well, we've always done it that way. Well, okay. Um, but if the answer is, well, actually, because the face-to-face -face contact is important and because, you know, it, it, it's just getting that next layer down, I think. Um, there's a lot that's not being asked about. I think just in the anxiety to create some certainty or some structure, um, I think some organisations are really missing the opportunity to do the deeper work. And I think what people aren't quite grasping is that it takes a fair bit of self-awareness to know what types of environments you need to do your best work when it's a certain task. Um, and, you know, we, we did get very used to doing all of our tasks within the office for, for most people and most roles. Um, and then we got very used to doing everything at home. So now we've got to really rethink and, and really have some self-awareness around what do we need around us? Who do we need around us? Um, for every kind of part of our task, and as, as kind of Sarah mentioned there, you know, hybrid is, is not going to be easy. It's going to take a real conscious effort to completely rethink this kind of process of embedded rituals that we've had, um, you know, for, for several years. So it's really thinking um, at quite a granular level around one, when do we need to be, be together and what type of environment suits me best. That could be the office, it could be a home, it could be somewhere completely different. Yeah, and I, I, I think... Um... I mean, I wrote down, is, is return to office the wrong question? Um, is it a synonym for how do you want to return to the past? And how, off, how many days a week would you like to go back to the past? Because isn't it a kind of longing for a sense of something that we've lost 
some of which we definitely want. I mean, I miss not having as much physical time with my colleagues as we used to have. Mm. I miss just as much not having as much physical time with our clients. You know, probably like you, we've got very close relationships with with clients that we've worked with for 10, sometimes 15 years. And you go through a lot. And so there's a level of, of human physical connection. But I wonder whether there's a lot of um, almost kind of like mourning the past and mourning what's been lost and 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 this adjustment that we're in to to a new way of working and i i i i kind of was struck i read an interview this morning with stella mccartney who's the ceo of the brand stella mccartney in the in today's financial times and it's a powerful beautiful interview and we've got um somebody called abigail wilmore who we had on the podcast a few episodes ago and she's in charge of people for stella mccartney which has been a really pioneering brand in in terms of fashion ecology um and she talks really about a kind of transformed way of of working and that that actually their their margins on a lot of things are much less than they would have been and i i, I kind of feel like ceos i mean she's not probably typical but she is an example of a certain level of of uh, of, of CEOs of brands, maybe younger kind of brands. And I, I feel like the what's required of leadership in this in this new era of work is really quite different. I wondered maybe Deepak what your thoughts are around how leadership needs to evolve to support a more holistic, healthier kind of living way of working. Yeah, I, I think I think it's actually right. I mean, I found it pretty entertaining when I was reading articles, you know, a few months back around CEOs stating about coming back to work. You know, like like work had stopped for eighteen months, so yeah, it hadn't. Everyone was still working, and more people were working harder than ever. Um, and actually, I do I do think that there was just this gap in in a lot of leadership um, mentality around. You know how people are working that how important those relationships are for them and i think it it takes a kind of brave leader to i suppose admit that they don't have all the answers and and you know they they need to be able to kind of go on this journey with their employee group so you know i, I think employees will look to their leaders for, for answers and it's very it's very difficult for them if they don't have concrete answers so i think it's it's really for for me leadership has to um, really be the mantle that kind of pushes forward this real experimental mindset and approach um, and be very vulnerable to taking feedback and you know if something doesn't work being open to change that so it, it will you know it will be a, a I suspect a very difficult process for, for many but I think those leaders that are malleable um, are willing to be vulnerable and take feedback and give feedback honestly um will thrive in this kind of new way of working um and i i believe that's kind of where leadership needs to stand but but also kind of you know one of the challenges around hybrid working that, that many people are concerned about is kind of you know how do you maintain culture uh, and i think it's as, as kind of sarah mentioned there it's really 
recognizing the times when you know you need your organization to come together to to ensure that that culture is is being retained but also how do you then maintain that culture in a, a virtual way in a hybrid way as well so it, it puts a lot more kind of onus on um the leadership group to be um kind of walking the talk but also looking for those opportunities when there are you know opportunities for learning and development and mentoring um and kind of creating the type of culture that the organization wants to live i think it's a tough time to be a leader right now right i mean all the strategies that you probably leaned on that served you really well suddenly don't necessarily work anymore and um i think it it is you know there there's a desire you know it's a human desire right you know uh, well that way really you know is to replicate something that was previously successful but in a highly disrupted environment just isn't working anymore so as deepak said you know putting your hands up and going, oh, well, we don't know what this looks like yet. So, but this is what we're going to do and still giving clear direction and reassurance whilst allowing for the flexibility and the change to kind of come through. So I think, um, you know, we've seen, as Deepak mentioned in the headlines, the, the ones that stuck their heads up and went, right, it's going to be this and this is what good looks like and you're all back in in September. And a few weeks later, tended to backtrack quite rapidly. So <laughs> uh, it's a really difficult time to be mm. a leader. Yeah, and I think if you think of somebody, you know, like um, uh, Verizon or Procter & Gamble, or if you're particular, if you're in supply mm. chains, uh, you know, there's huge problems with supply chains generally. So, you know, if you're responsible for keeping, you know, supermarket shelves stocked, and you're also trying to deal with a workforce in transition, uncertainty, and you embrace some of the principles we're talking about, empathy, um, openness, vulnerability. I think, I wonder whether some of the things we're talking about are easier if you're a smaller organisation. I think they must be. But I suppose the question is, how do you enable some of these new kind of principles of work, some of this more um, natural, uh, empathetic flexible uh vulnerable way of leading if if you're also responsible for making sure all of the foods on the shelves mm. that's a kind of really hard yeah. question to ask you <laughs> but um any thoughts around that one um no it's a really good question i think the two the, yeah. i mean do the two need to be mutually exclusive i suppose was my first response um you know plenty of organizations have been working flexibly for a number of years and I think it, it's not chucking everything up in it. In fact, one of the things that we're talking to our clients about at the moment, and you guys might be doing the same, is actually the importance of structure right now is actually vital because, you know, I've seen some organizations go to the other end and chuck it wide open. Oh, you know, I don't, you see statements on LinkedIn, don't you? I don't care when you work. I don't care where you work. If You know, and actually that's also not helpful because most of us, back to your systems approach, we're interconnected. So if you want to cram all of your working hours into three days, that doesn't help your teammate that needs you on a Thursday afternoon. So there is, there does need to be structure. There does need to be rhythm. Um, that creates certainty. It creates comfort. It helps everyone understand where they stand. And around that, you can have autonomy and you can have flexibility. Um, and I suppose um, working out what that blend looks like for your organization is is 
is the gold, right? That's what hybrid. That's what great hybrid working will look like for you once you've understood the what that balance looks like, balancing the needs of the organisation to get you know the food on the shelves and everything else with the the importance of team and culture and connection and the importance of the individual. Um, and certainly, any organisation that's going to one extreme or the other, I think, is likely to come unstuck. Although, obviously, caveated with it does depend on the business. There's something here around, you know, the, the kind of opportunity um, as well. You know, this, this is an amazing opportunity to completely transform the way that people work together, you know, having a far more diverse and inclusive workforce um, and all whilst maintaining a kind of healthy work-life balance. And as kind of Sarah said that, you know, what we've been talking to clients around is, you know, designing for kind of flexibility, but within boundaries. Um, and, you know, what are those boundaries? They'll be different for every organisation. They might even be different for certain teams within an organisation as well. So it's really kind of going back to that idea of, you know, distilling it down to a granular level, but also having that kind of fundamental trust in your employee group to to deliver on the, the promise, you know, the client promise. Absolutely. And I think... Paul's question made me also think about um, we have a friend who works for who spent some time over lockdown working in a warehouse uh, he's not there anymore um, and it was a it wasn't a pleasant experience mm-hmm. it was very mechanistic they were treated like robots and there's another person I was having a conversation with who works for a, a high street food chain um, was sharing her experiences of working preparing food and again, very mechanistic. People were treated like robots. And a lot of the conversation about hybrid working is obviously focused around HQs, around offices. A lot of the design that we see is focused around those spaces. And the question I have for the two of you is, what is it going to take to translate some of those principles that, that you're describing from not just being for the office, but for being for frontline workers, for the people who are in the warehouse and in those spaces as well? I mean, I think from a design point of view, there, um, you know, I think there's lots of kind of learnings that could be taken from HQs into into kind of more frontline spaces. You know, it's rare you kind of walk into a warehouse space and think, oh, this is a really healthy space that um, enhances my well-being. Yet that's, you know, normally one of the first things that you look at when you're looking at HQ. So I think from a design point of view, there, there, there could be some really radical shifts um, in, in spaces like, you know, functional, real functional spaces like warehouses um, that are healthy and, you know, do you still provide all of those things that you want to try and um you know enhance someone's working experience i think that what's been really interesting is i guess the strength of voices on the ground at the moment is um pretty powerful actually um more so than i sort of would i think pre-pandemic i think um you know there was a well-known technology company that demanded everyone back three days a week and the staff got together and wrote an open letter and said uh don't think so (laughs) and so I think and do you know every client we're speaking to uh you know one of their top three things they're worried about is attraction of you know and retention of talent so I think what would it take I think there is an sort of realization that 
if you don't change, you you know, sort of there's a there's a genuine viability thing. Now, look, I think that depends on the type of organisation, the type of work. There's a there's a lot of um, ifs and buts in there, but uh, I think it is really never before. Um, you know, and I've heard the bravado from some of my clients of, oh, well, if they don't like it, they can go elsewhere and in the next breath, but how do we keep them? <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of bravado, but then there is a genuine worry. I mean, the stats are quite large at the moment. There's, you know, depending on which ones you read, between a 40 and 60% movement of, of people. But, you know, that's mm. most organizations can't survive that. You know, you need to be able to attract people through your doors. So, um, and your employee proposition is a huge part of that. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we've got a, I mean, we've got a, a chapter in the book on structure. And just as you said, uh, Sarah, the, the importance of structure. We've also got one on threats. And I, and I would say that the the way that this transforms for the front line is partly through the threat that comes from what is a real shortage of people. So, I mean, so if you look at all the sectors being most affected by this unforecast shortage, at least in the UK, but it's similar in the US, of of of, of, of resources is, you know, truck drivers, hospitality, uh, building trade. And one of the things that I've heard and I think is true is that actually just treat people better, pay them more. Uh, and I was talking to somebody who runs a, a local pub near us, and he said that in his experience, the reason why they've got really good staff is that they give people very clear, reasonable working hours. So if they're going to finish at three o'clock, they finish at three o'clock and they know that it's four days a week, three days a week, what, what, whatever. It's not like, oh, can mm. you stay till five? And, and so I think there's a real opportunity for... Um, uh, Paying people more, um, uh, treating people better, not tolerating such high levels of staff turnover as has been the case in the hospitality industry. I think it's exposing the fact that that is an industry that generally doesn't treat people particularly well and that, that customers don't treat people staff particularly well. And so there's a real opportunity to... And, and I think I love what you said, Deepak. Also, you know, do warehouses? I mean, we talk, we look at Charles Dickens and the dark satanic mills of the, of the Industrial Revolution, and we go, that's horrible, you know. But actually, it wasn't horrible then. It was sort of sort of okayish for you know, it wasn't questioned in the way that it, we look back on. And obviously, we've got the similar iterations. Now, so it, it feels to me that again there's a real opportunity, and I think one of the things that I'm hearing from the way that the MCM works and the way that that what we're trying to do in nature of work is, if you like, create and articulate a, a vision of a more beautiful future of work, a new, more beautiful way of working in in every way, um, and, and I suppose probably human nature. Uh, people are uh, uncertainty, change, uh, disruption. Um, but there's a lot of, I mean, have you got any particular stories of organizations that you feel are kind of embracing the, the opportunity 
uh, well. It sounds like MCM is is an example of that. Maybe the you you have clients as well that that you feel kind of meet that uh, need as well. Yeah, I think I think um, we do. Um, but I'd probably say a lot of our clients are very early on in the journey. Um, but I think what's really refreshing is that they're, we're talking to a lot of clients that the want is there. You know, they, they've identified what the opportunity is and they're, they're willing to be brave um, to try and see, seek that out. So actually, I think that's great. You know, I don't think we've got any clients that have completed the journey. And I, I don't think there is such thing as completing the journey, to be honest. Um, but most of our clients at the moment have recognised where, where the opportunities are and want and want to change things. But I think, you know, Paul, going back to what you just mentioned there around a fairer kind of way to do work, I think, you know, that's exactly the reason we we set out to become B Corp certified. Um, you know, it is it is kind of rethinking capitalism um, and really trying to kind of balance, you know, purpose, profit and, and planet. Uh, and part of that is, you know, enjoying what you do, trying to create a new threshold for um, what it means to to do work, to have purpose, um, to to be a community. And actually, I, th- I think if we can look at work within the context of that, I, I feel like actually we'd, we'd we'd try to readdress a lot of our kind of known practices when it comes to 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 employees and and how we treat them. Thank you, Deepak. I am aware of the time and we're coming to the end of our time. I have two more questions. Uh, the first is, is there anything on Beyond Walls that you want to share with our listeners and any way you want to point them? Oh, yes, thank you. Um, our next one's actually on the 9th of September and it's called Culture Beyond Walls. And we launched it because we absolutely recognise the the disconnect I think with all the old tools and processes and how people are thinking about this with what we're currently all trying to grapple with and do so um, it's very practical um, it's things a tool you can go off and use straight away that will hopefully uh, help you build your future organization so yes please it's all on our website come and have a look um, and if any questions people are very welcome to uh, contact me directly that's fine and we, we record the one that we recorded in august is available as well for anyone that would like to to have a look thank you and then my final question which fits for each of you is we had a previous podcast guest come on and mention this idea of what brings you to life and work and so the question i have for each of you maybe deepak you first and then sarah is what brings you to life in work what brings me to life and work? Wow, um, that's a, a, quite a huge question. Um, I mean, I, I consider myself very lucky that I, I love what I do. Um, and I think that's that's down to um, my purpose, I suppose, you know, creating a kind of better world for us. So I, I think that's something that I, I lean heavily on. But also I, I really kind of feel, you know, when it comes to kind of workplace and, and kind of, we've got some really ingrained human habits you know this need for community for for purpose and i think you know one of the things that i really enjoy is when i come into a, a great space that is a, a destination um you know i have not only have i got those moments where i come together and congregate around you know around the campfires as you like but also I have those moments where I can go and shelter away and I can 
focus and get you know deeply into a kind of uh, a mindset which often I can't do elsewhere through, through distraction so for me what brings you to life is is that kind of combination of you know cocoons and campfires um and that's what really kind of gets me gets me going I love that phrase of cocoons and campfires. Cocoon is much more friendly than the hermit phrase that I use for myself. <laughs> um, so I might start using that. Um, and you, Sarah? Um, I I think the thing that brings me to life, you know, my uh, I'm a facilitator at heart. So I think it's that moment where you've really helped someone get out of their own way. It's that moment where, you know, the you've moved them through the anxiety or moved them through, you know, into the sort of clarity, I suppose. And um, there is literally no better moment in, uh, you know, when I'm working, when you you see that shift in people and then the energy that that brings them. And um, and then all the things that happen after that, you know, with that clarity, um, it's when, you know, the change just really ramps up. So there's something really lovely about that. Fantastic. And it, that brings to mind, we often joke that our member meetings are like therapy sessions. Um, but that it's similar to what you've just shared, is that the ability to play that role of helping people through a change that can sometimes be really disruptive and scary, um, and to be able to play that role to create the space for them to experience the change um, is a really impactful one. Um, so thank you both so much for sharing. And Paul, are there any final thoughts from you? Um, well, just what a what a wonderful conversation. I'm still kind of somewhat in the space of your all hands <laughs> meeting in that lovely space that you've created in 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 the trendy, cool area of Borough Market. Um, and that's one way of attracting people to come together, isn't it? To create places of that feel vibrant, different, um, impactful. Um, you know, th- I always felt that the offices in of the past didn't work very they were very lazy places you know they just sort of sat there expecting people to show up each day and guess what most people did until somebody said actually there are some alternatives um and then you know in a way works having to go through this kind of reimagining of itself and i think works really fundamental to human beings um and and trying to create it physically, digitally, uh, kind of relationship-wise, service-wise, into something more beautiful, as you put it. Um, Deepak is a is a wonderful thing to do. So thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you both. Well, thank you for having us. It's been wonderful. Thank you for for having us. Absolutely. The Nature Work Podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy, supporting more than 100 leading organisations to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.